four cup memorial cup three vezinas five jennings trophies 11 all-star games like the guy is a savage Hello and welcome to The Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. I'm David Tuck, been joined by my normal partner in crime. It is Phil Farber. I'm Tuck on Sports on X, and we got Phil's facts as well. Phil, uh, just another ho-hum, ordinary week for Islander fans out there, right? Nothing nothing to talk about? This should nothing be a quick crazy, one? Nothing crazy, nothing changed, right? Same Still old same, same, right? Same team, same players, same people. Yeah, nothing. Still playing uh, hockey. Lou, for that's the, the problem. I mean, we've been talking about this. Lou never does anything. He's I mean, always sleeping. The guy that's just, the he's sleep at the wheel. Somebody wake the guy up, right? Makes no trades. <laughs> doesn't sign anyone. Doesn't hand out contracts. Uh, let's introduce our guest. We got a guest. Yeah, let's introduce him. Very uh, special guest. Who is he? Who he is? I mean, people know him as as Lou's burner, Isle Stottle. Twitter handle at rant underscore or reason. He has some of the most long form Islander takes. Not everyone agrees with everything he says. I don't agree with everything he says all the time, but he definitely puts a lot of thought into his takes. And it's clear that he's very passionate about the Islanders. So I wanted to bring him in because one thing that people know about him is he is overwhelmingly positive about the team, overwhelmingly positive about Lou and for the first time since I've been following him, I noticed that he began to not sour on Lou per se, but to see him be openly critical about Lane Lambert and his coaching style and some of the decisions he was making seemed a little bit off script to me. So I thought, who better to get some insight from on the week of a coaching change than the man himself, Eilstottle? Welcome to the show. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. Finally ready to do this. By the way, the big thing is people are going to be like, well, are you going to let us know who it is? No, no, no. We're going to keep him anonymous. It is just Aristotle. I love it. And by the way, people sometimes criticize you and me, Phil, for being overly optimistic. Next to Aristotle, you and I are, are we are ridiculously pessimistic. <laughs> right. Well, if we're like, it's the only if we're like a seven on, if we're like a seven out of 10, he's like, he's like a 12 out of 10. Yeah. That's, that's the level of, of optimistic he is. Like I remember two years ago in the, in the, the COVID season where Barry lost his mother and the team was spiraling. They were mathematically out. And I mean, I'll stall. You, you never counted them out. Not until game 82. No, sir. Please. It was, it was June. And he's still like, I still think we can win. Hey, they've been playing <laughs> golf for the last two months. No, no, I still think they can do it. Uh, well, let's, let's dissect the news. I mean, obviously uh, breaking news, everybody. Lane Lambert has finally been fired. Obviously Patrick Waugh, the uh, arguably, if, if not, certainly in the conversation as the best goaltender of all time, uh, former Jack Adams award winner and, uh, you know, the reigning uh, coach of the, uh, the Memorial champion, Quebec Ramparts, is back in the NHL and he is coaching the New York Islanders and all the reports, you know, the players are being as respectful as they can toward the former coach, but... You can read through the tea leaves, and it's quite obvious what they thought of Lane and how excited they are to have Patrick uh, Padua in the uh, in the locker room. Oh yeah, guys. Um, I mean, I think it's really evident. Uh, you see it in Barzell's comments. You see it through 
um, all the interviews so far. You can see that, you know, he lost the room early. Um, Phil, you've been saying it since, uh, what, November? I mean, I've been, I think I've been saying it, and I've been calling to fire Lambert for a while. I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm a little bit more reactionary than you are. So mm -hmm. for me, like even after the playoffs, I just thought he got vastly outcoached by Brenda Moore. I thought even when they were winning a lot this season, um, you know, after that losing streak, they were winning, winning the wrong way. You know, still getting out chance, still getting out shot. The defensive structure was completely non-existent. I never thought that with Lane Lambert, we'd be able to get anywhere far. Um, you had put out a tweet, I guess, like minutes before um, Lane got fired, just about a couple of options that you had in mind. Why do you think they ended up going with Wah over a guy like Evison or, or Barube? Assuming these guys were available, why do you think... Lou zeroed in specifically on Patrick Waugh. Well, for starters, Lou is all about intangibles. You see it in how everything he does. He's very focused on the details and team chemistry and the development of, of people, first and foremost. These are not just hockey players. They're, they're people. And so when he brings in guys at the deadline, when he brings in guys in the offseason, Everything is crafted based on his like 80 years of existence. You know, that's the the one benefit to having that experience. So when they went with Wah, I mean, you guys saw it. This team, they've been sloppy for the last, I don't know, year plus. They they were able to turn it on last year when they dialed into Trotsy's system when Barzell went down. Um, you know, going into this year. That wasn't going to fly and was passion is what's you know you see it the last two games like that intensity that's the fire that these guys need they're veteran guys they've been there before um they need someone to put their hand on the throttle and when you look at guys like edison and woodcroft and they're all good fits but they're not a significant upgrade they're a hair better than Lambert. They don't. Yeah, I, I'd argue. I'd argue they're significant upgrades. I mean, I, honestly, like I said, I, I I put this out there. I genuinely think that the coach for my six-year-old, um, who by the way is a really good coach. This is not a shot against him. He's a really good coach. Uh, the guy played D one at Brown. I mean, the guy can coach. Uh, that said, I think he, who's never been a head coach before, he literally coaches a, a Mike team. He'd be a better coach. He's an upgrade over Lane. Maybe he's a hair better than Lane. Lane's a moron, okay? I, I, I've always said it. But I do have a question for both of you guys, and Phil, I'll let you answer first. So it wasn't that long ago that the crowd was calling for Lane's job, and we went on a bit of a streak, and they we didn't obviously didn't get fired. But we all remember Casey's comments after the crowd was calling for Lane's job, right? Yep. Now... You could stay home. You could stay home. Exactly. Something along those lines. And the question I have now is simple. Was that bullshit? Was that just him being a good soldier and backing up his coach? Or did he really at that point did Lane still have the locker room? Or did he have, when did he and if he didn't if he did have the locker room then when did he lose it? Phil, I'll let you answer. I don't, first. Know, I don't know if it yeah, I mean I could go first. I don't know if it means anything in terms of what they thought or didn't think of Lane Lambert. I just think when the crowd from game two of the season, right? Very early on, the Bluebirds were out and they were playing like garbage. And to be honest, with the amount that they started charging for season tickets and, and 
you know, you know, you pay 18 bucks for a beer, right? You're the customer. If you don't like the product, then by all means, boo. And I think Casey was just reacting emotionally. And it didn't matter if the coach was Lane Lambert, Doug Waite, or any other coach that has been through Long Island. Casey's just going to back him because that's just what he's going to do. I don't know if it was a specific attachment to Lane and a belief that Lane was right for the job. I think a lot of it was just raw emotion after another crappy game. I'm trying to remember which game that was after it even. I, I forget. It's not important. Do you remember? It's not important which game. It was, but it was after a bad home loss where they absolutely deserved to be booed during the roughest stretch of the season. So, I mean, I just, I just wonder. I'm just the, the question. Be basically is, I mean, had he already lost the room at that point, and if he didn't lose the room at that point, when did he lose the room? What do you think, Aristotle? You're you're talking about game two right now. No, I'm not talking about game no, two. Not this game is two, like but I, it was like it, game fifteen, it, say game fifteen or something like that. Yeah, the Casey comments. Yeah. I mean, I think he started to lose the room when he started making weird decisions like pulling Wallstrom out after a great game or Gautier just riding the pines. Um, when guys have great efforts and they contribute to the value and the product and the ice, like guys in the room recognize, you know, they know who's going and who's not. And when the coach starts making decisions that, start tinkering with the chemistry like November mid-November was when this all started to unravel I'm gonna even go further than that yes I think it all started unraveling then but you know Phil and I were very vocal about this I really liked the roster over the summer I was very excited about the roster but my one reservation was I don't believe in this coaching staff I do not believe in it maybe we win despite it but I still had my reservations and I was hopeful that Lane would get better in year two because I thought he was woefully inept in year one. But I said, okay, it's his first year as head coach. He will improve, right? Just as Dobson has improved, he's improved. Awesome. Um, but I'm going to point to something from last year. And for those of you who know me, do you know I, uh, I'm not necessarily a Josh Bailey fan. I, I happen to think that he was probably the most underrated player for some of his career and probably one of the most overrated player for one of his for part of his career. Um, that said... I thought it was in poor taste to bench him early in the season last year and make him not have his thousandth game at home. And I'm wondering if that's versus when the Rangers versus the Rangers. And I'm wondering if that moment was part of the unraveling when he started to lose the locker room a little bit, because it just seemed like a, a really thoughtless move against a career Islander who, listen, as much as I wasn't a Josh Bailey fan, to me, as long as he's on the team, why not let him play out his thousandth game, get it at home versus the Rangers, and then sit him? And Especially that, to when me, the alternative is Nikita Sashnikov. Thank you. But that, I mean, to me, that was the moment where I think maybe Lane, there were some of the veterans in the locker room, they weren't going to say anything, and they still, they'll never admit it. But I'm wondering if some of them didn't start to question him then. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I mean, definitely could be. And that game ended up turning out to be a disaster. Sashnikov had a ridiculously bad turnover with 10 seconds left in the second period, and Tampa went up two goals as a result of that. And before long, Sashnikov was predictably back in Russia because he just never really fit anywhere on the team, didn't belong, and that was the end of that. And then, I mean, you saw from Josh Bailey's very... I mean, it wasn't emotional. It was it was just pretty raw in terms of 
the way he was giving over how how the season went for him, his relationship with Lane Lambert was strained. You know, that was very evident in, in on locker clean out day. I don't know what my future is. I haven't talked to Lou. I haven't talked to Lane. Um, but I want to get back to one of the points that uh, Eilstottle made in terms of just weird decisions. I think Steph ran an article a couple of weeks ago where he interviewed Barzal and was talking to him about being broken up from Horvat. And I mean, reading between the lines, Barzal just seemed pretty pissed about that, right? That line was providing the majority of the offense. The second line had cooled down, right? Far Barzal right. and Horvat building chemistry together. He clearly enjoys playing with him. He doesn't want to play on a third line role with Cal Clutterbuck and Simon Holmstrom, right? No offense to those players, but it's kind of hard to define as to what the the role of a line that contains both Barzal and Clutterbuck is supposed to be. Isn't and but then, Phil, isn't that the key of it all? When you think about it, it's like as a coach, you know, you're like, okay, you got to put players in a position to succeed. And shouldn't it be that one of the reasons why Barry was so successful while he was here is Everybody knew their role. And frankly, when you put a line of Barzal and Clutterbuck together, how the fuck do they possibly know what their role is? What are we doing here? Right? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, hey, so Alstottle, how excited are you, by the way? On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, is it like 84? Patty, Patty Wah? Yeah. This is like a 1,000 on the scale, man. I mean, if anyone could come in and turn this group around midseason, it's him. How long do you think it'll take? Because I understand. I mean, listen, there's still you're not going to come in. You're not going to come in in 72 hours, fix everything. I mean, even tonight's game, we saw the we saw the terrible pellet giveaway, and it ends up in the back of the net. We see the Dobson giveaway, and ends up in the back of the net. And then, by the way, another Sorokin softy. I mean, I I want the Sorokin apologist to come out and tell me that was that was a that should go in. What? I'm gonna fight you on that one. You're gonna. You're. Are, are you kidding? I thought you were joking. By the way, when you tweeted off the pipe, like it's just like, it shouldn't have even hit the net. Wait, when you're tweeting, you tweeted at me and you said that was a great shot. I thought you were. I thought you were trolling. I thought you were just kidding. No, I, I was. I was serious, man. He I think, okay. I think you got a that kid's, it's an, This is an NHL goalie. That's that's he is. That I thought can't Sorokin go in like, ever. Wasn't that shot from outside the dots, like on the far. That's the point. That could never the angle. There shouldn't even be. There should be no space. There should literally be no. The goalie should be out attacking enough where there's nothing to. There's nothing to see. The goalie. The forward was, should. I have thought he was off his angle. Is it went in that Clearly. spot that can't be covered from that angle. Like we don't have to. Argue. This is a stupid. Right. No. Then it's it's yeah, like, it's stupid because. Turnover. Yeah, we've got a year and a half of bad habits that they've let creep in. That's going to take a few games to work out the kinks, a couple weeks. I think the break coming up is going to be huge for them because then they can really work on all the mental aspects that they have to like refocus, you know, dial in those priorities. They've got Toronto, Tampa, Calgary, Seattle coming right out. It's a pretty How, tough schedule coming right out of it. It's a pretty to tough honest. schedule. That's Phil, are they allowed? What's their what's the uh, the CBA ruling in terms of how much can they practice uh, over the All Star break? I, I, I would assume that they probably can't do much in terms of like on ice activity until, until after. I wouldn't think. I don't know. Well, I mean, they're another staggered breaks though, aren't they? Um, I know our last game is Saturday. It's here against Florida. Um. In terms of like being able to actually practice and 
they could probably like review film and things like that. I'm sure there's going to be stuff that they're going to be looking at and reviewing during that time period. But and you know, yeah. Luke, he finds his way to skirt the rules. He's not. Okay, let's. I also settle since we have you here. I want to go through so you can follow him at Rancher Reason on 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 uh, X. I want to go through some of your tweets. Okay, uh, let's see one a couple hours ago. Pelic's not going to play a perfect game yet, but man, he's had some great shifts. He'll come around in time. A couple of bad habits that need consistent breaking, but that assist is reward for more aggressive decisions. What happened to Pelic? And uh, man, when are we going to get him back? What happened to Pelic? I mean, you've got a series of injuries. This guy battled for what four years in the trenches. He was he was our number one guy, blocking shots, taking hits, everything. I think these guys have just been exhausted, man. Like, if you really look at it, they grinded because they didn't have the talent. Busting their hump every game, playing playoff hockey. And you saw it. They burn out year one, year two, year three. They burn out by game 50. Then they need a little bit of the luck of the gods to get into the playoffs so that they can then play playoff hockey. Pelix just, he needs some time, another injury. Now he's got the confidence with Wah. You know, he's still an all-star defenseman, defensive defenseman. Is he? You, know, you don't you don't forget that. He's still young. He's twenty nine. No, he's not. 29. He's not. He's, he's not old. I mean, for for uh, for that kind of defenseman, he's certainly not old. I think he can still he's skate. got miles on him, but that can be brought back. You know, right? To be fair to him tonight, I know that was a terrible turnover. I just think having Aho on a pairing with him where he's kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off, yeah. failing to corral the puck on two separate attempts. And then the, that, and then the puck just kind of explodes off Aho and into the middle of the ice. And Pellick kind of just rea- very reactionary, tries to swipe it away from the front of the net. And it just happens to go to Petrangelo and then a deflected shot. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't love Sorokin's positioning there, but again, a deflection, I'm not going to kill him for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's just a couple of bad mistakes made by Aho, and then Pelic obviously bears the brunt of it just because of the errant pass that he made over there. But I mean, I thought I thought, I thought Gautier, and I'm gonna, it's going to bring in a tweet that I will actually put out there as well. I, I thought Gautier's got he's got to be better on the on the boards there. I mean, the pass comes around; he's got to get the puck out of the zone. You can't just whiff on it. Got to execute. He, he whiffs on it, and then just he, he just nothing. He's just on the boards. He doesn't block the shot. He doesn't. He's out of the play. And frankly, that leads me to the tweet here. Uh, I also thought you put out uh, Patrick uh, Patty benches Gautier on the second to last shift of the period. We see Holmstrom, Paggio, Clutterbuck, and for good right. reason. Gautier has been met tonight. I'd, I'd argue that Gautier has been ridiculously inconsistent for much of the season. What are your What are your take? He has, he has, and that's part of the problem because that third line's been such a staple for them for the last few years. Um, without Parisi, you need consistency. And Holmstrom's been phenomenal, exceeded expectations above and beyond, right? I mean, look at the chemistry he's built with Peugeot and what they do shorthanded at five on five. But that right side, it needs to be dialed in because that's a that's a line that plays important minutes. They right. match that's up typically been their matchup line, their shutdown line. And, you know, I think that's, in terms of looking for a missing piece at the deadline, if if they're not able to establish some sort of consistency or chemistry with whether it be Gautier, whether it be Fashing, or even if 
you get Parise back. I think that's probably going to be a position. The, that's the most obvious position for me where Lou would look for an upgrade. Um, yeah. When, and, when and by the way, it's, and it's not that expensive. I mean, you should be able no. to get a decent third line winger for, you know, a, a mid round, especially if it's a rental. Yeah. Like uh, when I think about the type of player that fits there, it's kind of like a Jesper Foss type of player. Right. Mm-hmm. That kind of like energy winger who could pitch in a couple goals, kills penalties and play smart two way hockey. That's the type of person they need. I think of Zach uh, Parisi. Zach's got Zach he's got to be Zach, watching this. He's got to be excited. Zach. Right. Well, I mean, think I mean, the excitement that the Islanders have kind of generated over the last 72 hours and the way they played, at least with energy, obviously one win, one loss. Um, you know, and, and according, and it, I think it's probably true. They probably should have lost to Dallas and they probably should have won tonight. Okay. That For is sure. hockey. It happens. Two tough games though, you know, against two, two really, we're talking about two Stanley cup contenders. Now, obviously Vegas in their current form is not a Stanley cup contender. They're too injured, but you're still looking at a, a veteran championship team and they go one and one. I'm not going to hate on that, especially since Patty's not going to fix all the problems in, in 72 hours. But I'm wondering if Zach sees that. And if there is an inclination, Hey, I want to play for this guy, you know? Do I want to come back? Because he's exactly – I mean, that third line, if you put Pajot with Holmstrom and Zach, that could be a really exciting third line. It's a nasty third line. Um, You're trying to tell me that Zach didn't text Lou the minute that that happened? Oh, I mean, you're <laughs> – I don't know. Maybe Lou Maybe Lou texts Zach right away and said, maybe hey, Lou look. got a flip phone, but someone made the call. Can I, can I get him back there? Uh, hey, what is your take, uh, Phil? I'll ask your answer. What, what, the take on our uh, on, on the nepotism uh, call up, uh, McLean. He's been the pretty good. Call. And by the way, I, I think, say that I hope I hope people understand. I'm saying that with a joke. I actually think that he was the obvious choice to to call up. I'm actually disappointed we didn't call him up sooner. Yeah, I mean, I thought he could have. Listen, if not for his waiver exempt status, he probably deserved to to make the team out of camp. He's to me, certainly a better fit on that line, considering what Casey does than Matt Martin at this stage of his career. He might even be a better fit than Cal Clutterbuck, although Cal's piled up a pretty decent amount of points at five on five. I just think the penalty killing department is where we might want to retire him at this point. Uh, but yeah, I think when when Casey comes back to me, having McLean and Sezikis on the same line there is is a handful for any team. Right. Both of them are really, really great speed, great four checkers. I always like the idea of having two centers, right? Because you get one guy thrown out, the other guy could take face offs. And you see that very often with Brock and Engvall. And you see that with Horvat and Barzell. So maybe there's some sort of, you know, model that you build around over here where you have two natural centers on the line. But I've I've been impressed. He hit a post. Early in the game, yeah, nice, really nice feed from. It was a nice play, actually. Uh, uh, Romanov. Who's the feed from? It was Romanov, right? Uh, no, Romanov actually made a really nice pass down to Clutterbuck, realizing that Clutterbuck he couldn't get it to the net, and then Clutterbuck, oh, Clutterbuck actually Clutterbuck used his body to protect the puck, and uh, and found and found McLean. And by the way, and, and McLean had no room whatsoever. Got the shot off and hit the post. It was a really nice play. I, I see. I agree with you. If your third and fourth line are going to be in a defensive zone more, if they're going to get defensive starts, having two players who can take faceoffs is just so important. Um, I and would. By the way, to... it's something it's something that Barry did for the longest time, especially at strategic points in the game. Right, like under five minutes left, there was never a defensive zone faceoff where he's not putting Pajot out there as well with whichever line he's mixing and matching with. Right, he'll he'll sit Barzal down and put Pajot with 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 Horvat and Lee. 
he'll sit Martin down and he'll put Pajot with Sezikis and Clutterbuck. It's something that, um, you know, not only the Islanders, I think other teams do it too, but if you already have two natural centers built in there, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about is our new uh, our new penalty kill. Uh, I know Hickey started to talk about it a little bit, or maybe it was Butch. Um, but it's something that's really actually it, – it, it's kind of standard now, and I'm surprised that we didn't do it before, which was instead of a, a standard box, they play more of a diamond now, which is a 1-2-1 one, one, um, to kind of counter what other teams are doing. Mm-hmm. So they kind of talked about that before the game. And I believe we have let up one power play goal so far since Patty took over. And obviously we got the shorty tonight as well. Right. It's one power play goal on six power play opportunities. And frankly, the power play goal was had nothing to do with being shorthanded at all. That was also broken. Despite right. what Isle Stottle says. Despite Isle Stottle's disagreement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll agree. To, we, we will agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. Um, I'll have to watch it again. I'll give you that one. Okay. That's to right. me, he's just off his angle. That's all. I think he could have done a better job covering more of the net. I think at times this season, it looks like he's he's losing his feel of where his posts are. So I, I, I think the, the vast majority of like quote unquote great shots that like you know go in off off a of, it's this like sick angle are yeah they're sick shots, but they're shots that just just like the goalie an NHL goalie just takes away it's just not there usually but whatever it happens what else did we like about tonight's game Dave uh well I just had music playing in my ear you guys couldn't hear that could you no we didn't hear that okay good it's really weird. I had a website up, and I was like, just like it was at ESPN, and just like boom, doom, doom. I was like, oh my god, what's going on here? This was this was nuts. Uh, I mean, the energy. Listen, I mean, you love the energy. Is it is it something that's sustainable? Uh, I love the fact that Barzal played about fifty eight minutes. Uh, I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. I mean, Barzal played twenty five minutes, which that is not sustainable. Okay, Nathan McKinnon plays the most of all the forwards in the NHL, and I think it's about twenty three a game. But I have been screaming for a long time since when Barry was here. I go, can we play our stars more? Can we play our best players more? Um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was Dick. Yeah, go ahead, Isle Stottle. I was gonna say. I think you brought it up last week or two weeks ago, right? Especially on like the double shifting of the fourth line. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, that was the most. And I, I said it. La- I said it last. I said it last week, by the way. And I could, it's worth saying it was the most nonsensical. Irrational. I mean, the only thing I can think is that Lane must have had money in the other team. Well, I, I just I can't imagine a scenario where I'm ever looking at it going, it's high score, three minutes left. Yeah, let's bend, let's double shift Cal and Martin and not play Bo Harbat. What? Like, what are you even thinking? Is that play not to lose versus play to win mentality? Right? Lane was playing for the tie for the last month and a half, trying to chisel points when these guys should have been playing to win and down and deep. Right? Yeah, which if you, I mean, if you look at the just the percentages from their performances, really in the lane era, in overtime and in shootouts, they way more often than not don't end up getting that second point. The craziest right? thing is those. Here's the, here's the sickest thing. It's one thing. Okay, if you're lane, you're going, and I don't want to bash on him too much. I mean, I don't mind bashing on him, but I don't want to stick on him. He's gone. He's history. He was never coming back. But it's. It was like, okay, we're going to play not to lose. We're going to play for the tie. But then when we get to overtime, we're also not going to play to win there either because we're going to put out our first line is going to be Holmstrom-Pagel. 
Okay. It's, that, I mean, I understand the logic. The logic is you want to get possession first. So you put your best face-off guy. And usually those guys change pretty quickly. It's usually get possession, get one guy off, get the next guy off. If that's sometimes your, th it, some, if that's your thought process. It did, sometimes it didn't happen. Okay, but if that's your thought process, why not put Peggio and Horvat out there? And and just and 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 have Barzal just waiting and and they can bing quick quick change for that one. True, mm -hmm. and I think against Chicago he actually went with Barzal and Horvat first, and they lost twenty one seconds in or something <laughs> like that on on a goal that I think even Eilstadt will agree with us. Sorokin yeah. probably has to save in that specific scenario, but yeah, I mean, tonight, me, I was calling for Appleby that night. That was yes. Yeah, I mean, what's the point of even having a, a third goalie under contract if you're well, never going to use them? Well, talk about not giving your team faith, right? If they can't believe in the third string goalie against the <laughs> Rock Hogs, third string goalie, how are they? Hey, so uh, coming off a loss, I will point out uh, good news. Everybody is that the uh, the rest of the East, uh, at least most of our competition, continues to lose. Pittsburgh lost again last night. I mean, on the night we hired Patty, by the way. Everybody lost. I, I tweeted this out. Everybody lost in regulation. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, the Flyers have now lost three straight. Um, Detroit lost again tonight. So, you know, you're looking at the East and you're looking at the competition. Washington lost tonight. They're terrible. Pittsburgh, got, Pittsburgh. I mean, amazing. I don't know how we lost 7 nothing to that team. It just, I don't either. It just boggles Disgrace, the mind. Disgraceful. Um, you know, the Devils... Really should have lost last night. That was a, a frustrating comeback for them because um, you know they were they're not a very good team, but they can't play defense. So I, also I, frustrating because if we if we got Logan Thompson tonight and they got Aiden Hill, it would have been reversed. They would have lost last night and we would have won tonight. In all likelihood, although this was Aiden's first game in a month, I mean you'd think he'd be a little rusty. I know he looked. He didn't look it. He's no. he came in with a nine thirty three. He came in with the highest, I think, the highest save percentage and lowest goals against the average in the league, and he. He's been looking the part ever since the Stanley Cup. Okay, so Eilstadl, uh, give me uh, give me two or three of your really optimistic points here, because obviously that's why we have you here. You are a, a ray of sunshine. You are <laughs> our, our, our shining light. Uh, what's what's going to happen with this team over the next thirty five games or so? And and uh, what do you what's your prediction? Well, I think you're seeing tonight. The intensity has already ramped up significantly. These guys are dialed in. Um, I think you're going to see a faster transition from lane to wah than would otherwise be normal. So maybe if it would take 20, 25 games normally, maybe you see it in 12. Maybe you see it in 8 to 12. Um, I think the biggest, um, the biggest wins for this club right now are – the fiery guys are going to step up to the next level. The guys like the Palmieri's, the Pajos, the guys that Lou brought in to bring some sandpaper and some clutch moments. Um, those are the guys that are going to step up. Lee, Horvat, Barzell, those are fiery guys. They've got passion. You can see it. I mean, Barzell made a ton of mistakes tonight, but he's out there. He's engaged. He's talking he loves his staff. I think those are the guys that are going to be making the biggest difference. And then the defense is going to figure it out. You see them jumping up in the play. They're more aggressive. They're trying to make passes on the breakout 
with the intention of scoring a goal at the other end, not just throwing it off the glass because that's a safe play, you know? I think I think ultimately what Wah does is he brings a vision and an identity and a core purpose, core values that they had under trots and lost under lane. And you're going to see that rally around this heroic leader in Wah, who is a motivator and the guy just will not lose. He's a diehard winner. He's going to inject that into every player on the team. I mean, you're, and, you're, listen, you're talking you know, about a guy who has won everywhere. I mean, the guy won everywhere he's, he's played. Won everywhere. He's got four Cup, Memorial Cup, three Vezinas, five Jennings trophies, 11 All-Star games. Like, the guy is a savage. Yeah. Even, we've even, got even him, with he's bad internet, he's a savage. Our guy. He's our Okay, so, so Isles title. So, prediction. Even, Give me a prediction. Yeah. What What's – do the Isles make the playoffs? Of course they do, according to you, right? 100%. Okay. Then, how, how, how deep are they going to go in the playoffs? Okay, he's, he's holding up – this is not a video podcast, but he is holding up a sign that says 2023-24 Stanley Cup champion New York Islanders. Okay, so that's his prediction. Phil, uh, what is your prediction for uh, the Patty Wah era, uh, at least this season of it? I think they do get in. I do. I The way I look at it right now, it's hard to see a scenario where Tampa misses just because it's Tampa, right? Kind of like how it's always been hard, really up until last year, entering the season, but I think we said it about Pittsburgh and Washington for, for many seasons. Like, this is the year they miss. This is the year they miss, right? I don't think anyone truly believed that Washington and Pittsburgh, specifically Pittsburgh with Crosby, would miss until it actually happened. And then you can, you know, kind of hang your hat on it and believe it. Like, yes, decline has finally set in. Until by the way, by the way, I'm it. amazed. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm amazed at all the analytics sites that are like, oh, like Dom's got, Dom at the Athletics got, Pittsburgh like 80% to make the playoffs. crazy. By the way, I don't understand. if anybody and it was, By the way, it was, it was the same I thing. I never said week. anything that is... I put it on Twitter. I go, anybody wants to bet on the Pittsburgh Remote. Penguins making the playoffs, come at me, please. I will happily take your bets. I will happily take your money. Please bet on the Pittsburgh Penguins to make the playoffs. So I, the way I, I look at it, it, just getting back to it, the way I look at it is I'm going to assume that Tampa makes it. They've got Cooper behind the bench. They've got guys like Kucherov and Stamkos, that's just a team that has still has guys, enough guys who know how to win and know, you know, they probably won't go anywhere, but they'll get in. So you got the Flyers, you got Detroit, who are currently in playoff spots. I think both of them don't make it. The Flyers, they're starting to hit a little bit of a stretch of adversity, right? They've lost the last three in regulation. Carter Hart, indefinite leave Not of there. absence. Yeah, Carter I just thought it was going to say something. Carter Hart is, is out. Yeah. Carter yeah. Hart is out. Indefinite leave of absence. Right. I mean, that... that might be related to uh, the Hockey Canada investigation. Who knows what it's related to, but he's out indefinitely, which is a hit to them on the ice, a hit to them in the room. They've had some of their younger guys start to struggle. Bobby Brink, I know they sent him back to Lehigh Valley, and they've spoken very openly about the fact that they are going to be sellers at the deadline, right? They don't want to commit anything to the current core that they have in terms of re-upping 29-year-olds on long-term deals. They're very committed to doing the rebuild properly under Briere. And I think that between, you know, natural regression for a group that has overachieved as well as losing some key guys at the deadline, I think they'll ultimately fall out of it. I don't believe in Detroit at all. Alex Lyon has been a horse for them in net. That could only last so long. He's a journeyman goalie for a reason. And then it's going to come down to Islanders, Devils, Penguins, and I think we ultimately get in. 
Yeah, I can. Where are we going the playoffs? I don't know. I don't know where we go in the playoffs. To be honest, it's. But I will say it's the most wide open it's ever been. I cannot identify, certainly not in the East, any team that I look at and say, "Oh no, we can't beat them. We we can't beat that group." Like when I look at it in the West, I think we match up terribly against Edmonton. We match up terribly against Colorado. These teams with just insane speed and skill who have given us fits regular season after regular season. The good news is we don't need to play any of them at all. And, you know, only one of them in the Stanley Cup and and maybe none of these teams at all because you could have teams like the Kraken that upset the Avalanche in round one. So I'm not going to worry about the Western Conference. But when I look at Boston, when I look at Carolina, who we've played fairly well this season and who's got really shoddy goaltending, when I look at the Rangers, when I look at... Um, you know, the Maple Leafs, all these teams have very obvious and significant flaws that make any of them vulnerable one through eight uh, in this particular season. I mean, I'd argue that that's league wide. I mean, we said it last year. I, I thought last year was a wide open year and I was like, okay, somebody weird. Who's somebody, somebody weird is going to win the Stanley Cup. Now I, I know it didn't that, happen. Vegas wasn't weird. Yeah, I mean, but it, it sort of was in the sense that, I mean, it was a Vegas, Florida Stanley Cup final and mm-hmm. You can't tell me that anybody thought, like, I mean, Vegas's goaltending was so up in the air. I, I, I mean, Aiden Hill wasn't even their starter, and then he wins. It's like, it was just right, so... Go, going into the season, though, everyone expected off of a President's Trophy season for Florida to be a lot better regular season-wise than they ultimately ended up being. Right. Right, but they so ended up... I they, think the expectation They literally was don't that, get in. They literally don't get in, you know, if... If Pittsburgh doesn't shit the bed, right. Right, that's what I mean. And it's like suddenly they're in the finals. I, I just feel like this season is a very similar sense. And like, I can look at all 32 teams and I can find at least a couple of flaws. I mean, you look at Colorado and, and tell me like, you know, where's their- Their flaws where, in net and and I think their their depth, depth scoring has been yeah. non-existent, right? Yeah. I mean, where's where's their, who's their second line center? Who's their third line center? Um, yeah, but Colorado's got a chance to solve that at the deadline and they've got pieces where they can make those moves. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people thought like, you know, Lindholm might be in, in, in play, but, you know, mm-hmm. Calgary is still sticking around. I mean, they're only they're only four points out of the playoffs right now, so I don't yeah, know how but I think, they I are think to move players. I think Calgary's new GM is going to be smart enough to know that with Huberto and Kadri and Uyghur all signed to these long-term contracts that he just, that's some you know, you've, you've got to look out for the future of the team and you can't just stuff the cap with more of those type of long-term bloated contracts to older players, which which Lindholm will be. I think he's a I think he's an ideal fit for Colorado and I think they're probably gonna make a play for a guy like that. I just spoke to a good friend of mine who's up in Vancouver and he's a big hockey guy as well. And he was saying that, you know, while the Vancouver Canucks have been an absolute wagon in the play in the regular season, I mean, we're talking about a plus fifty nine goal differential in just forty seven games played. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, neither he nor myself. I, I don't think this team is for real when it comes to the playoffs. I want to get Eilstottle's take on that. What do you think, Vancouver? I mean, listen, I love Quinn yeah, Hughes. I, I love I love Pedersen. I love normally, Demko, yeah. but... Normally, I would agree with you, but I think they're another team that's looking for a second-line center and a guy like Lindholm that might be a fit and fit into that Swedish culture. They've got the Pedersons. Like, I think Vancouver... You know, the difference is Rick Tockett watched more hockey than anyone over the last three years because before he took that job, he was on TSN or TNT. TNT. Right. Like that guy has eat, slept, and breathed hockey for the past few years. He's analyzed more details than most guys get to see because they don't get to watch 10 games at once, you know? 
and be talking with Gretzky and all the greatest hockey minds and, and talks been the guy in his career. Um, I think Vancouver will surprise plus plus 59 goal differentials. No joke. No, I mean, it wouldn't even be a surprise. I mean, they're going to, in all likelihood, unless they, you know, unless they shit the bed, they're going to go in as, you know, one of the Stanley cup favorites. So I think what's funny about Vancouver is they're really a bull horvat away from being, <laughs> from being the Stanley <laughs> cup so favorite. True. Right. Sure. Because they keep having to like go to the lottery line, right. Where they load up with Miller and Pedersen and Besser. Right. And those guys have been electric, but then it just affects the downstream depth in that lineup to the point where, as I also just said, there are rumors out there that they're talking about Elias Lindholm. And I think everyone at this point thinks that the template for what a Lindholm trade is going to look like is more or less the return that Vancouver got for Bo Horvat. So there would be, just a great amount of irony if you saw a first-round pick in Atu Ratu <laughs> headed to uh, Calgary at the trade deadline in exchange for Elias Lindholm, only for then the Canucks to lock him up for something like seven years, $8 million, when they realistically just had Horvat sitting in their lap. I, I will point out one thing about the Vancouver Canucks. I would not be surprised at some point if they had a swoon. And I, I, I still am going to come on. I'll, I'll be on the record right now, and I could look like an idiot when they win the Stanley Cup. I, I still think – I'm going to point this out. Nils, Nils, uh, Hoglander, 23%. JT Miller, 21.9%. Brock Besser, 21.6%. Uh, Dakota Joshua, even, at 21.1%. Sam Lafferty, 20.4%. Pedersen, 19.4%. Uh, Suter. He's the only one that's sustainable because he's like a 17% career shooter. 19 is not, that's not even, even Austin Matthews doesn't shoot really. I mean, yeah, you might have one season of that in your career. I think Pedersen's like a 17% shooter though. So even if he ticked down to his career average, he's still in good shape. But yeah, everyone else is shooting I mean, well above. Shooting way above their weight. It's just yeah. amazing when you look at it. It's like, wow. You know? Yeah, uh, listen, all it takes in the playoffs is one hot goaltender to knock you out, right? And for a team that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, they are a prime candidate for a group of guys who can get frustrated really quickly. Have you seen Edmonton with all that skill, all that power, all that, everything that they bring in the playoffs, they just haven't been able to get it done. To your point, by the way, uh, Pedersen is a 17% career shooter. Yeah. But he's He's, one of... He's he's going to get $12.5 million. Oh, he's yeah, he's getting paid. That's there's no doubt about that. But he's just one of many players who are shooting. He, I mean, he's the lowest one of all those guys. They're all shooting over twenty percent. Right. That's just not generally speaking. That's not sustainable. And at some point, if they go cold, are they going to find secondary scoring? Is somebody else going to score on that team? That's the question. You, you wonder about that. Um, hey, listen, I don't want to go on too long about this. And everything we're we're obviously super excited about Patty, um, the new era. You know, it's. Um, We've got a handful of games. Obviously, we play Montreal coming up on oh, Thursday. We've got to do one thing beforehand. I mean, we've we've been updating this on our, our podcast for the last several episodes, our, our DEFCON chart. Where are we now? I know we were at DEFCON one last time, and, and Lou listened, and I guess he he hit the nuclear uh, – he, he typed in the nuclear codes to uh, to get us patty. But where are we now on the DEFCON chart? As far as I'm concerned, I, I'm at a four. And I mean, You're at a four arms, now. Wow. arms are down. Yeah, yeah. because arms listen, are down. to me, like – it's not just about this year now. I mean, Patty, obviously, is, this is not, it's not just about the next 30-odd games, you know. And while this, the roster is, you know, some of the key players are older, a lot of the key players are younger, too. I mean, I, I know a lot of – there's the um, 
there's this this rhetoric around uh, around the, the the world or around the hockey world, I should say, that this Islanders team is slow and old. And you look at the key players in this team, and you know you got Romanov, you got Dobson, you got Barzal, you've got Horvat, you got Holmstrom. They're not all that. You know, we're not talking about that old that old a team anymore. Um, I, I so I, I'm excited. I mean, I, I'm not concerned anymore. I'll put it that way. The, the my biggest concern was about the coaching, and I'm not concerned about that anymore. So, Iostadel, I assume you were never you were, you, you might have been at DefCon three at one point. I was at DefCon two. Oh wow, that's that's high for I, you. I was yeah, I was pretty concerned with Lane. Once those OT games, it was just consistent losses in OT, and I started saying like, okay. Who's he putting out there? You start to see the decision making, and then he's putting fashion at center. Like that, that <laughs> one just threw me I, for a loop, and I was like, "Oh, he lost it. He he he's gone." I mean, I, was, I just wonder, like, was he using his eight ball or something, and just like you know, shaking his eight ball, yeah. like, uh, "Who should play this position?" By the way, I'm watching. I don't know if I said this last week or not, Phil, because I don't think we covered it. Maybe we did. The game they lost first to Minnesota five nothing. Right. Was that covered last week or no? I think it was, yeah. Okay, because I, I remember so. talking to my kid who watched the game, and I was really excited because the last couple of goals were like, we just gave up. Right. And I was like, these are embarrassing. But I'm like, no, this is the kind of game that gets a coach fired. This is good. Right. Yeah. Right. I think he was fired before that. I I maintain that the national game was, was the final nail. He's been, Although with, he's been interviewing for over a month. Clearly, yeah. I mean, he yeah. if he was watching, if he was He's taking in a Saturday night game in December of Islanders Kings, and then watching Islanders Leafs, right? Patrick Waugh has no reason to uh, be watching Islander games ever, unless he's specifically interested in in the team. Um, I think it's been pretty cool to see the whole Quebec media cartel descend on Long Island, and that that's pretty sweet. It is. Yeah. They have these two games. These first two games have been broadcasted on mainstream networks in Quebec in French. Like when are you ever going? I mean, maybe when Mike Bossy played, they did that, but <laughs> they've got the French broadcast. They've got the guys from what is it? RDS is the uh, Quebec version of TSN who are there. The last seven minutes of every single presser are all done in French. I think it would be great if they provided, you know, some subtitles to that so that fans could understand what's being asked and answered. I know some people have been frustrated with that, but it's it's pretty cool that the Islanders are under a larger spotlight now and are being broadcasted to a much larger audience. Yeah, guys, we're on the map here. Like this puts us on the map. We we're a small market team. Getting Trotsy to come here, we lucked out that he left Washington the way he did. Like <laughs> they didn't give him a contract. Like this Patrick Waugh move is, it's our reputation as a key culture in the league. You know, we didn't have that for 30 years. It's taken Lou six years to build it. What are we, year six? Year six, yeah. It's years. And yeah, it's... And I will, yeah, I'll say the other thing is just with, with the way the players have been kind of geeking out over the fact that they get to play for this this living legend... Um, just in future seasons, just the the ability to attract and retain talent. So long as you have a guy like Wah here who seemingly will be here pretty long term is is definitely an, an added benefit that you don't get with Count Dracula. 
behind the bench. You know, I, I got into a conversation with somebody about this, and 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 we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with. I want to get like closing thoughts from each of you, but I do want to just touch on this one thing. So I talked to somebody about it who was a doubter. He was like, ah, I don't like the Patty Y. I mean, he, he he left Colorado high and dry, and he was terrible the last year, and he's a quitter, and da da da, and. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, what he coached a bunch of kids in, in Quebec. And what is that? That's kids. These are adults. These are men. And my, my argument was, and I, I, I'm actually kind of excited that he, that, he played, that he coached Major Junior. Because to me, today's player, and he pointed this out, today's player is, is much different than when they played, when he played. And right. I, I think being in touch with 16, 17, 18-year-olds as they, go, as they move up will – will actually help him. Now, I will say, as a prediction, I don't know how long a runway Patty Wall has. His intensity, it feels like a kind of guy who, you know, it feels like he's the kind of guy where his message might get old in year five or year six, no matter what. Winning, winning losing, he might even win a cup. He might not win a cup, no matter what. But it does feel like that kind of guy where it's like, yeah, this is not going to be your coach for 12 years. That's not the kind of guy you're getting. But you might get five years of fire which is exactly what you can sign me up for that. I'm fine with that. But I was actually really excited that after playing an entire career and after getting experience in the NHL, that he went to major junior, got to work with younger players, um, you know, taught them how to win, taught them how to grow up and everything. And now he gets a second chance. And another thing that was pointed out was coaches in their second, uh, second chances head coach usually get their most success which I'm pretty excited about. Anyway, um, before we do go, I do want to leave it with some lasting thoughts. Uh, Phil, I'll let our guest uh, be the final say here, but for you, you know, we, we've seen two games with Patty Waugh and everything, and, you know, we've got Montreal coming up. We've got the All-Star break around the corner. Got about 30-odd games left in the season. Uh, talk us through it. Let's leave us with something. Listen, I wish I could be in Montreal, although it's, it's just such short notice. We weren't able to get babysitters. My wife was not down for me leaving her with all the kids and going on my own and staying overnight because uh, you know the the media circus that's going to be at Le Centre Bell on Thursday night is probably going to be something with the uh, return of Patrick Waugh but I think they uh, got off to the right start with that win I think you know progress isn't always linear in terms of results but the way they played tonight was very encouraging gotta see a win in Montreal that's a team that you gotta be beating on the way on the road to making the playoffs gonna have a very tough game at home against Florida you'd like to at least get a point there and then kind of similar to last season come out of the all-star break with a boom and and be ready to you know put their heads down put in the work play a structured game and accumulate enough points to get into the playoffs and then what whatever happens happens right It's, it's impossible to predict what happens at that point. But I think if they do get in, they've got a legitimate chance as legitimate a chance as any other team in the East to be representing the East in the Stanley cup finals. I will say this. And I said it last year. I think if this team gets in, it's because they've, they've done well over the last 30 games and they're going to be a very, very dangerous team. Aiden Hill mentioned that as well tonight. I mean, you outshoot the defending Stanley cup champions by 15 and you know, they probably should have won tonight. They didn't. You, you move on. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. In terms of betting, uh, bet all your monies on the New York Islanders versus the Montreal. This is I, – I, listen, the locker room loves yeah. – the locker room loves Patty. They are not going to let Patty lose in Montreal. 
It's not. They're okay. not going to let Patty lose in Montreal. Insane amount of money on the board too. I am more. I am more confident about that game than almost any other bet. I am betting a lot of money on the New York Islanders on the road against Montreal on Thursday night. So bet all your money on that. Anyway, right. I mean, the other thing I was going to say, I mean, a breath of fresh air that we get to know that he's planning on playing Varlama ahead of time in Montreal. He's telling us, oh, Bolduc played a great game. I'm going to play him in Montreal. Like just, you know, better communication with fans. Also just great awareness of the fact that like Bolduc, Quebec kid, you got to get him in front of his home crowd. I'm sure Julian Gauthier is going to stay in the lineup too. Like Gauthier would literally have had to put the puck in his own net tonight. For Patty, yeah. not to not to play him at home. <laughs> on on thursday night so i I like that about him too you know not the the general awareness not to do a josh bailey scratching type move yeah uh i also i want to thank you for joining us it's been uh it's been a lot of fun i love listen i i i love your account on twitter you guys can follow him at rancher reason uh i love your optimism In, in a world fell in a world filled with uh with pessimism especially among islander fans it is it is refreshing to occasionally see somebody as delusional as you. Um, and I'm a positive <laughs> person. But it, it, listen, I love it. There's got to be, you know, we've got the extremes. It's okay. Anyway, before uh, before we say goodbye, I want to give you the uh, the mic and let you finish it off. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Um, it's been fun. I just think that this is the best roster that Lou has ever assembled for this franchise. And that's something that I think we've talked about throughout the year. Like this is the best group and it's the perfect mix of youth and veteran experience. We've got two incredible goalies. Um, our defense now with Riley and Bortuzzo, we've got winners, we've got experience, puck movers. Um, now we have the centerpiece, the head, the leader, the alpha behind the bench. Like the East is wide open. It's like last year. Last year we went six with Carolina and we were sloppy. If we had a real head coach last year, we easily walk our way to the conference final again. Um, I'm optimistic, man. This, this is Lou, Lou's 81. He's not He's not going to do another year. You think this is it for him? You think this he retires it. after this year? This is it. Interesting. This is it. Okay. Well, we'll I, 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 I will say this. Listen, if, if, if your prediction is right and the Islanders do win the Stanley Cup, it could definitely be a swan song. Then, yeah, that'll definitely be a swan song for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I can see that anyway. Uh, hey, listen, Aristotle, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I want to thank all of you for your support. Uh, next week, we'll get back to your mailbag questions, so do send them in. Uh, you can follow Phil at Phil's Facts. I'm at Tuck on Sports. And, of course, Aristotle is at Rant or Reason. Let's go, Isles. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>